0: It's September 28th, 2018, and you're listening to the Architecture Happy Hour. I'm Laura. I'm Holly. And it's a two-drink minimum, so grab your glass and let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We're excited to be back here today. Um, I wanted to let you know that Holly will hopefully be back with us next time. She unfortunately has come down with a horrible cold and bronchitis. Um, hopefully she'll be back up and running very, very soon. I know you all wish her well, so we will talk with her again next time. I did want to share something kind of fun. We got a review on Apple Podcast from a listener named Stone PLS. And I don't know who that is, but we're so happy that you decided to leave us a, a review. And it says, I started listening because we were about two years out from building a home. Ended up binge listening through just about all episodes because they are so easy and pleasant to listen to. My favorite episode to date should have been called, So What's the Deal with College Softball Players Hair?, I just thought that was really clever. Thank you for leaving the review. And yes, we do talk about some random things on this podcast, and I'm glad you enjoyed that one. Uh, We'll try to keep it light and keep it entertaining. So um, thank you again for leaving that review. So I'd like to introduce my very special guest on the podcast today. Um, It's shocking to me that we've been doing this podcast for nine years, and I have never brought this very special person onto the podcast be interviewed Uh, but I'd like to introduce Bob Davis um, architect extraordinaire who also happens to be my husband so hey why don't you uh, (laughs) say hello and introduce yourself
1: Well, hello world
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm bringing Bob on the podcast today for a very specific reason because he and I uh, of course are both architects but I think we likened the analogy to sports um, that you can be an athlete and specialize in different sports and have very different skill sets and be very differently suited to different athletics true
1: yes yes i would agree
0: okay so that's what we um have decided that this is Maybe we can make that comparison, because as we are both architects, I happen to be a residential architect, but Bob is quite skilled at commercial and institutional architecture. So we wanted to share today on the podcast.
1: This might be the nicest things you've ever said. I know.
0: Just write it down. Here we go. It's on the record. Quite skilled. (laughs) Well, you are. (laughs) I mean, really. Uh, We wanted to share. I don't think it really gets addressed much, especially when we're in school and we're studying architecture, we maybe might get uh, exposed to commercial-type architecture or we might get to design a home, Um, but we don't necessarily get trained in what are the skill sets that make you better suited to be residential or better suited to work in a commercial office. So we thought from the standpoint of a student that it might be helpful to hear from residential and a commercial architect, what the differences are and why you might pick one path versus the other. And then for our listeners who might be homeowners or uh, looking to hire an architect, why would you wanna hire a residential versus a commercial architect? And can one or the other do the other's job? And would you want to hire a commercial architect, for example, um, who you know, and then ask them to remodel your house? Would that be a smart decision? So we're gonna explore that. But first, it sounds like fun. It does, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yes. So first, though, I'd like Bob to give us a little bit of background because I'm always curious, of course I know his story, but I'm always curious to know what is it in our childhood that may or may not predict the path that we take as far as becoming an architect someday. So if you will give us just a brief background on you and and share with us what maybe clues, what clues mm. could have been in your childhood that
1: what clues along the way were
0: there? Premonitions and predictions. And- oh, gosh.
1: Well, um, uh, gosh. Well, I was a military brat. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force for 32 years. So we uh, lived in several different places. I grew up, I was born in Dayton, Ohio, and then uh, shortly thereafter moved to Albuquerque, where I lived from the time I was about three to five years old. And then after that, we moved to Washington, D.C., where I lived from, you know, five years old to 16 years old. So about 11 years. And then um, after that, moved to San Antonio. So Albuquerque was, you know, my first memories are, are from Albuquerque you know the balloon the balloon fiesta the 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 landscape the it's very brown everything was very brown out there but it was still a very beautiful landscape and then when we moved to Washington DC we were fortunate enough to live there for for 11 12 years cuz dad got you know stationed at four different places uh, but we were fortunate enough to not to not have to move to change houses and so we lived lived there and that that, that was you know those were my formative years you know of well, course
0: being around the amazing architecture that is in Washington, DC. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And, and
1: and mom and dad were they were, you know, the one thing they were sure to do was to take us, you know, lots of places. If there was a historic site within, you know, a hundred miles of the house, we went and saw it. So yeah, that had an impact on me. Um I was, you know, all the all the monuments, all the historic architecture, just a huge impact on me. And then when we uh the uh, the trauma when I was in <laughs> high school, the summer between my sophomore and junior year, we had to move to San Antonio. Dad got promoted, so we moved to San Antonio, Texas, where Dad took over a, a, a job at Lackland Air Force Base, Wolford Hall Medical Center. And so... Um, that was a culture shock, to say the least, moving from from Washington DC to San Antonio, Texas. But it was there that I finished high school and, and learned about Texas A and M and UT and all the different Texas colleges because that's all that mom and dad were going to pay for. It was in state colleges, and so <laughs> so that narrowed my choices pretty quickly. Um, went and did all the college visits. Never never felt it at home at UT. Um, um, that's
0: University of Texas. That's University of Texas. International yes. listeners, um,
1: uh, yeah, or zaggy's call it, TU. But we'll we'll stick with UT. Um, and then went and visited A and M, and just felt felt at home there there immediately. Just felt like I fit in. So once I had chosen A and M, of course, then then I had to choose choose majors, and that's. That's always hard when you're 17, 18 years old trying to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. And so, so Dad and I, you know, we we a lot looked at what was available, and and uh, you know, I always knew I wanted to do something in the realm of of buildings and building things and structures. and, And so, of course, that directed me quickly towards architecture and engineering, and. Um, growing up, I always liked uh, doing artistic things. I liked building things with blocks and Legos and drawing and and so you know we went and visited the engineering school and man, man that wasn't it at all. And went to architecture and just really uh, really felt like that was going to be a good thing. You know, to talk with you know Dan McGilvery, Rodney Hill, all the old school AGs there at the College of Architecture, and they talked to me about what it was to to go to school at the College of Architecture. And and yeah, that first semester was was, was really great. You know, it's uh, I learned pretty quickly that that's what I wanted to do. So that's a little bit about me, is that?
0: Yeah. Is that good? That's good. Is that my story? Yes, you okay. got it. Okay, good. So, so Bob and I ended up at A&M in the exact same class, um, graduating in the exact same class, and then uh, came up to Dallas, Texas, uh, after we graduated and worked for about a year and a half and then we both decided we needed to go back to graduate school in order to get licensed because that was the trick they got <laughs> they they lured you into undergraduate and then said oh by the way you're going to be stuck doing a master's degree if you ever want to get licensed. And yes. we were like, what? The
1: pre-professional degree yeah. and the professional degree and the four plus two. And yeah, all that business. All that so, business. yeah. So
0: Bob and I ended up coming back to AM. Fortunately, we both got admitted or... They took us back. <laughs> they, they let us back in. Yep. So we both came back to a because at that point we had started dating uh, our senior year. And so we then completed our graduate program. Um, and one of the cool things that you did in graduate school was to travel to Azerbaijan. Oh, wow, um, yeah, I'd
1: forgotten about
0: that. Yeah, so we studied in Italy, I should back up, junior year, yeah. we studied in Italy together, and that's when I had my epiphany about historic preservation and, and just falling. Yeah,
1: I did not have falling.
0: that You did not, no. yeah. So no. I fell in love with the historic, <laughs> the plaster and the cobblestones and just the beautiful historic architecture. Mm-hmm. That's where my path took a turn but you were more focused on contemporary and larger buildings and things like that, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what I think Which what you got was, to
0: explore when you Yeah, I,
1: mean, I think what always interested me, I mean, when I was in, when I was an undergrad, you know, I took, uh, oh, Vincent Cannizzaro. Do you remember Vince? Yeah. Took, took his class, he was my, I think that was senior year, either junior or senior level studio, and Vince was really, shout out to Vince out there if you're listening, um, Vince was uh, was really influential because he he was a PhD student at the time and he was studying uh, studying the idea of critical regionalism and vernacular architecture and, and how these ideas um, are different from the international style and mar- modern architecture and buildings that can be plopped down anywhere and so Vince was really interested I, I don't apologize if I get this wrong but his thesis kind of centered around that topic and so our studio kind of took on that flavor. I was fascinated by it because I, as a means to, to order buildings and to design buildings, it just made a lot of sense that your building should, should interact with the, the site and the, land, and the land that it's sitting on. And so that had a big impact on me. I was immediately interested in, in studying that. And so then when I went back to graduate school, I wanted that to be a focus. And so, you know, in graduate school, you have a little more freedom to kind of tailor what you study. And so that's what, what I really wanted to study. And then I had the opportunity to go to Azerbaijan, which of course is a very, um, very different landscape and, you know, culturally and geographically and, you know, in every, every possible way. And so I had that opportunity to go do that. So that was very influential on me also. You know, when you're, when you're in school, I mean, for all you students listening out there, it's, it's, not, it's not about residential versus commercial. It's about design and it's about learning how to think and learning how to listen. You know, those skills are critical. Whether and they're you know and they're the same whether whether you're listening to a housewife or to a to a doctor who's building a hospital so yeah so so anyway that, that's what I was interested in in graduate school is how buildings interacted with the land I was always I always thought landscape students the landscape architecture students had the coolest projects so that's that's kind of the, the path that I went and then in grad school. Uh, we did a project with, uh, with SHW Group, what was a big school design firm. They seemed to share some of those values. Their designs were always very um, very sensitive to, to the site and to the land, and, um, but what I also learned about that uh, with working with SHW and what I really liked about those guys was the huge amount of people you could affect with, with that building type and the type of people you can affect and um, that those buildings really create a legacy in the neighborhoods that they sit in and
0: that's an excellent explanation of exactly where your motivation was. And so you ended up at SHW group out of school and were able to work on school buildings, K through twelve and yes. uh, natatoriums and Yeah, all different big all different types of buildings.
1: Stadiums, natatoriums, a little bit of higher ed. And I wasn't so concerned with uh, you know, I remember when you're in school, you know, you're constantly you know, there are there people well, do you want to work in a big office? Do you want to work in a little office? You know, you got to be careful. Big offices, you're going to get lost. It'll just be a number. No one's going to care about you, you know. It's kind of like going to a big college versus a little college and things like that. And and I remember SHW for me, it was it was a big firm. I mean, it was a relatively big firm in the world of architecture. I think we had three or four hundred employees total. Um, the Dallas office alone counted for accounted for 150 to 200 of those employees, and so it, it was a big office. But but I always felt like. The more the people you had the more the more collaboration the better ideas exchange of information it's sort of like being in school you know you design is better uh is better when you can bounce it off of people and, and so that's that's what i always uh felt like you know with, with sort of the large office versus little office
0: yeah so did type you idea. did you ever feel like you were sort of like they found your skill set and then you were pigeonholed to just do that? Or did you feel like you had some freedom to explore? Yeah,
1: I mean, that, that, that sort of thing happens, unfortunately. But it's also, it's hard to just blame blame a large office for that. You know, you do have to take some responsibility for yourself. And I mean, SHW was really good about exposing me to different things. And I'm sure there's some profound statement out there about opportunity meeting uh, what is it? Opportunity plus hard work equals luck, or something like that. You know, like you, you know, you, you, sure, you would have people that would work there and who they would get lost in the background, but but that was partially their fault because they wouldn't they wouldn't hustle or they wouldn't you know they wouldn't do what needed to be done to get noticed or to or to ask to go those, that extra mile, yeah, you know? ask for
0: those opportunities. And
1: so you're right. In in that sense, it is easier in a large office to get lost because if you don't do the extra things and you don't. Do your job extra well. You know, it's you and a hundred other interns. Yeah, you're gonna get lost. But but if you're that guy who makes an impact and who shows that he knows what he's you know who shows that he's getting after it, then you're gonna get you're gonna get noticed. So so yeah, I mean, it is a concern in a larger office that you can you can get pigeonholed. You know, Bob he's the guy that does wall sections or you know whatever. That that happens. But I, I also think that you 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 make the best out of the opportunities you're given i mean if you're if you're told to do toilet plans for three weeks make sure they're the best damn toilet plans you've ever done and so you do them you do them well you do them you know you you do good quality work and you know what now the next time you have to do a toilet plan you know how to do it can do it quicker right. impre- impress whoever it is that you're working with and it, and everything is important on a job everything you know that the, the, the toilet plans, the, the fixture mounting heights, the door schedules, it's all important and even if it's not your most interesting thing, it's it's all got to be right. So yes, you can get hell doing those things, but you've also got to look at it as this is all part of my education.
0: And your internship. And your internship. It's what you're supposed to be learning.
1: Because when you're, you know, 10, 15 years down the line and you're running a job by yourself, You've got to be able to tell the 22-year-old kid, this is how you do a toilet plan. This is how you do a, you know, because you're going to have to pass that on. And if you've never been exposed to that sort of thing, you're you're, you're not beneath anything. You have to know how to do it all. So, well, So
0: you're a project architect now. Obviously, when we both started, we were both interns and not licensed yet. What sort of things do you get to do now that are super cool that you didn't necessarily have access to? <sighs>
1: super cool. Or
0: or on the flip side, like, man, I wish I could go back to being an intern because that was the life.
1: Super cool.
0: <laughs> what, what can our interns that are listening, what can they look forward to? And what should they aspire to? Oh, what what well, do you do now on your day-to-day basis? What do I do now? I get to
1: tell interns what to do, so that's <laughs> that's kind of cool and exciting, and you get to yell at people. No, no, it's Oh not, my gosh! It's none, it's none of that. No, <laughs> um, no. I mean, when when you're uh, when you're a PA, um, you get to you, you get you get to, to to sort of be in charge of the vision of the project. You get to yeah, you know, it's, it's double-edged sword, you know you. You get more responsibility, but man, you get more responsibility. So yeah. uh, it's uh, it's and it's not something to take lightly. Uh, it, it, when you're just doing those toilet plans, all you have to focus on is doing the best toilet plans you can. Right. And uh, as a PA, you've got to you've got um,
0: There's a lot more moving parts. When yeah, you're it's in charge of it. Yeah, and that, and that's
1: that's the fun part too. I mean, it's it's stressful, but it's also a lot of fun to 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 you know to be part of a big team and see everybody working at a common goal and.
0: So, would you um, say as an intern, it would be advantageous to at least in your peripheral vision to sort of be aware of all the other people on your team and what they're doing. Oh, yeah, the, the very someday best. someday you may be in charge of yeah, that the, team. Yeah, the very
1: best interns don't just dig themselves into a hole and and, and just worry about what they've been assigned to. They, they're they engaged. You know, they, they come to the project meetings. They they listen to what's going on around them. They pay attention to. I've, I've worked with interns that struggle to realize that when, when you're doing a set of drawings... You, Every drawing is related to every other drawing. And so you get people, you know, you'll, you'll have a person that's doing a detail over in the corner and he has no idea that that detail he's drawing affects the reflected ceiling plan, which affects the wall section, which affects what mechanical is doing, which would affects how structure's framing that area, which it's all tied together. And so that, that's what the best interns realize is that they are part of, they are part of something big. It's not, just, uh, it's not just what they've been assigned to.
0: It's not just getting that one detail done and going home at the end of the day. Yeah,
1: it's nothing happens in a vacuum at all. You can't just, even the most minor details um, can have huge impacts on everything else. Well, I
0: know, for example, one night you came home super frustrated and late because you had to go back in and fix some things in the 3D model that Mm -hmm. one of your interns Mm -hmm. had kind of messed with because they had moved the ceiling plane or done something that they thought was just they not. thought it was benign yeah, yeah and it's not it's, impactful but it's at you all. know
1: it's something that that my mentors always Always said to me, you know, every line is important. Everything you draw is important. Every line means something. Every line on a piece of paper means something. So, just got to be very thoughtful about that. So, yeah, the very best interns are aware of that because architecture is is huge. It's not just the architecture. It's 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 all the disciplines that are involved. Um, so,
0: you've been very focused on, and I think kind of found your rhythm in the area of production. Mm-hmm. So, you're not oh, necessarily. Let's not call it that. Oh, what do we call it then I
1: don't know but we're not calling it that
0: that's Well a, you're the magician that makes the drawings happen yeah, That's a that's a
1: four letter word Right so let's So,
0: <laughs> that's so let's word. Oh I'm sorry let's well, We don't call it production Well and so by the way you're not with SHW anymore you're now Oh no no no, no. yes yes current? I guess we we skipped that whole we part did kind but, of uh, miss that,
1: uh, yeah you know during you know 2008 2009 as lots of firms did SHW had a hard time and um, and I, I left SHW, and I'm not, I now work at HDR, which is a another huge, massive firm. It's even, it's even bigger, it's way bigger than SHW ever was. Um, uh, I work for HDR, which is a nationally recognized healthcare, uh, science and technology, and civic architecture firm. Um, and a little K, no, no, I'm sorry, no K-12, some higher ed, higher ed.
0: So you shifted um, gears when you changed yes. firms. Yes. Shift,
1: shifted from shifted from K12 to to healthcare and science and tech technology hospitals work, hospitals, and research facilities. Yeah, yeah, hospitals, research facilities, uh, civic buildings, you know, city halls, detention facilities. I wish you could see how big I'm not rolling my eyes right now. Those aren't my favorite, <laughs> but um, it's still very very it's a very fascinating type of architecture. It's just not my favorite, but in my career, I've been at HDR for nine years now. I was at SHW for a little over eight, and then I just celebrated nine years at HDR. And uh, in my time at HDR, I've gotten to work on just some massive projects. Uh,
0: some very cool projects, yeah, actually.
1: Yeah, the, the, the new ambulatory care clinic at Lackland Air Force Base, which is where my dad used to work, 800,000 square foot medical facility.
0: That was kind of fun because the building he worked in actually got torn down by your firm when you were working on the project. And so that was kind of a fun conversation to have that I think your dad, would you say he takes pride in the fact that you Mm -hmm. played a role, Mm -hmm. his son played a role in the new building that is now on the the you location know, of the building yeah. where he used to work. Yep. So the old
1: Wilford Hall is still standing. Oh, it is they still have, standing. I have not torn it's it not, down yet. <laughs>
0: it's not gone yet. Uh, in
1: true government fashion, the building is still standing. But um, but yes, eventually it will be torn cool. down. But yes, that, that was cool. Um, and then, so that was, you know, first, what, three years, four years of my career at HDR. And then worked on a facility for NASA, which was also very exciting. And then worked on a building for UT Southwestern medical center um, and now I'm doing some civic work. So, yeah, big, big projects. With
0: long timelines. Uh, yeah,
1: and that's, I don't know if that might be a good segue into one of the big differences between commercial and residential, I think, is probably timelines and, you know. At at, SH- at,
0: yeah, attention spans. And mm-hmm.
1: I mean, at SHW, a typical school would take us, I mean, shoot, we could crank drawings out for one of those things in four or five months they could build an elementary school in under a year, they could build a high school in two years or something like that. And these projects we work on now at HDR just stretch on forever. So, um, which is good, good and not so good, but.
0: Yeah, so on the flip side, on the residential side, you, know, you had said, and you talked a lot about the technical aspect of getting really proficient in how a building goes together, like the details and knowing that you're part of a team. Mm-hmm. And I would say on the residential side, that all is true, but there's a big, I think, more personal side to what residential architects do. I have felt on numerous occasions that you have to kind of be a jack-of-all-trades. You can't, because typically it's a smaller office. You, The interns are the ones, could be potentially the ones even answering the phone. You could be talking directly to the interior designer or to the contractor or to the client themselves. And so there's a lot more learning going on. Um, all around you. So when you're in a, a smaller office, it is helpful to eavesdrop. <laughs> that might seem like a bad thing or that you would be distracted, but mm-hmm. in a small office, you are expected to be able to pick up and run with whatever gets put in your lap. And so whether it's finishing up drawings and getting them to the printer or planning for a meeting or going out to the job site and you know watching the concrete pour, all of those things happen all at the same time that's sort of been my learning path of being very closely working directly under my mentors and my my employer really did the architect i worked under is the firm owner in all of the instances where i worked at residential firms versus your direct supervisor or mentor would not is not necessarily an owner no, they're no. just
1: not just another employee. no, I don't say
0: just because they're <laughs> very smart people. But just yeah, another number there's the more layers. Yes, there's yes. more layers. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about what you know, do you get to interact with the client? And what is that like? And how much influence do you have? Because on the residential side, we have total influence mm-hmm. and we are expected to have Influence because we are in charge of the design okay. and the production of the drawings and the specifications and all of it. Mm-hmm. It's much more, you know, in a, a, a total package mm-hmm. versus you've got a department that deals with design and a, a department that deals with the actual construction documents and a whole separate department that does interior design. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about who gets to talk to the client because I know a lot of students and interns probably. Aspire to be the designer or aspire Mm -hmm. to be the one that gets to sort of influence the final product How does that work in your office?
1: Yeah, I think it's um It varies from project to project as a project architect. I get to one of the things I get to do now (laughs) Is uh, is you do get to have one-on-ones with the client you get to meet with the client. It's never just It's never just up to me. There is usually a project manager Again, depending on the size of the project, the size of the budget for the project, there is usually a project manager who is the main client contact, who is the, uh, the main face of HDR. And that usually is a person who either brought the client to HDR in the first place, and that's why we have the work. Or, you know, they've
0: built the relationship.
1: They, they have the relationship. Right. So they, they, are the, they are the architect, I suppose you could say. They are the face of HDR. Um, as far as the client is invo- is concerned. And it really depends too on uh, what the meeting is for or why are you meeting with the client. If it's a meeting about code issues, code review, type of building, um, then the PA usually takes front center stage and has all the interaction with the client. Um, if it's a meeting about what type of exterior shell a building is going to have, that's usually the PA. If it's anything that's technical or related to codes and uh, constructability, health, safety, welfare, that's usually the PA that kind of steps up. And that's um, your the and person that, that's, in your role. Right. That's right? the person in my role. Or it can also be the PM because the PM is usually a, What's a PM? Uh, project manager. He is because he is usually a experienced architect himself. Um, and, and so that, that does vary from client to client. So there's those types of meetings, and then there's the type of meetings that are more design-centric. You know, you have, um, if you're in the early stage of a project and you're figuring out massing, or you're figuring out how the thing is going to sit on the site, or you're figuring out, you know. Well, and that's um, that's
0: pretty universal because we experience that too, where mm-hmm. there's we go through a schematic design phase where we're talking about those exact same issues. Mm-hmm. So it's really just a matter of scale at that point, right? Yeah,
1: and, and so those types of meetings, it's the designer, right? We, we usually have a designer a project designer but again it depends on the budget and the size and the scale of your project sometimes the PA will take the lead on that too because the PA you know it's just because you're not called the designer you're still a designer you're still an architect so those types of meetings or, or design development meetings uh, which start to get more invo- more focused on uh, room layouts and you know I want a door here I want a piece of furniture here they start to get more specific those start to move into the realm the interior designer starts to take a more a bigger role, because he or she will come in and and discuss, um, you know, discuss things like like how a room is going to work and types of equipment and furniture and things like that that are in that room. And so that person comes in and sort of you know does their magic. And so the PA would step back a little bit from that, and the interior designer would come in and do their thing. So every team member has some interaction with the client. It just depends on. Just depends on a lot of things, I guess. Well, and sometimes but,
0: when you say client, it might be maybe one of the people who is going to be using the building or work, yes. like a doctor in and a hospital. And so that, that's the other
1: thing that gets tricky—not the
0: owner of the hospital, but the actual people who are going to be working in the space. Right, and
1: that—that's that's the other stakeholder. Those are maybe. the other hoops we have to jump through. You might have a, oh gosh, a facilities manager or a—you'll have somebody. Like in the case of our civic work, you'll have you'll have somebody who's a, a director, a, faci- a director of facilities or something like that. And this person is in charge of standards for every building in the county or in the city or within the hospital system or whatever. This person is in charge they're they're your they're your guy. If you have a question about do you guys use brick or metal panel typically? Oh brick. You know, that's those they're they're the ones that are kind of in charge of the overall vision. But when you go to these meetings, you're gonna talk with the doctors and the nurses or if you're going to if you're working on a on a on a courthouse, you're going to talk with the lawyers, and you're going to talk with the judges, and you're you're going to talk with the you're going to talk with the end users, and so um, so you have to balance what the end users are requesting versus what versus what the director of facilities, right. whether it be a hospital or whatever. And
0: those people don't always um, agree. They or, never agree. The, the, they the people they who want never, to use ever, the building are ever asking agree. for the moon. Yes. And of course, then there's the budget and the everything else that restricts what they're actually going to be able to get. Right. And so just know that and as the PA,
1: you're going to be put in the middle of some very awkward conversations all the time, constantly. It's just that that goes with the gig. As an intern, you're not, because you won't, be at the meeting (laughs) or if you are at the meeting you'll just you'll be sort of assisting um but yeah the pa the pa really gets put in the middle a lot of of awkward things
0: well so for our our listeners who are students who might be in the throes of these these studios and they're you know doing their all-nighters and they're wondering What is in my future? Where am I going to take this? Where should I even start applying to internships? What in the work that they're doing, regardless of what the actual studio project is, what do you think that they would start to see in themselves or what would get them excited that would tell them, oh, they're really well-suited to try commercial or Mm -hmm. institutional, you know, really big projects in a bigger office Mm -hmm. versus the more intimate design that typically happens in a residential office?
1: Mm. That's a really good question. (laughs) You know, for me, when I was in school and I was thinking about things like that, it really was, I don't know how to say this without offending anybody, but for me, residential architect architecture um, just didn't seem to have as big a positive impact on the most amount of people as doing the types of buildings I do now. Um, okay, well,
0: that's fair. And
1: that's, a lot of times... And this is going to be a very unfair statement stereotype, <laughs> but the people that can afford residential architecture have money and they have means. And so, uh, it can be very self-indulgent. It can be very, the house becomes all about them and it's not necessarily a sustainable thing because then the next person that buys it is invariably going to have to change things. And, and I don't know, we, we strive to do buildings that can affect a lot of people for a long time. And, uh, um, you know, we, we design our buildings. We want them to be 50-year buildings. Is what we call them. We want them to to have a, a positive impact on the society in which we work for for a long for a long time. And and so um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying it right. But but residential architecture always seemed just a little more. Um, this is what maybe four or five people want, and they want it just for them, as opposed to doing something like a hospital or a school or. Um, or a research facility that you know the work that takes place inside of these buildings um, you know you're impacting society as a whole and so um, you know well, well, so,
0: okay, so I would like to take the opportunity to, to yes. offer you a li- rebuttal. would you like
1: to re- re- rebut? Because I'm sure I'm way out of line. But that's, that was, that's just me personally. So when this I was is a, the part you know.
0: of the podcast where Bob gets to sleep on the couch tonight. Oh and Look, you asked the question. <laughs> I'm just joking. You can't ask a
1: controversial well, question without... So
0: And so I would agree with you. I think you're absolutely right that, yes, uh, what you do impacts a great number of people, which is exactly why I don't do it. I prefer the opportunity to work directly with an individual family, with an individual couple, or with one person, if it comes down to that, if that's the client we get, because I get a chance to know them very closely, very intimately, and know everything about the way they want their lifestyle to work. And so for me, that's the win at the end of the day for me, is that I get to... Sculpt that, create that house to fit them perfectly. That makes their individual life better. Mm-hmm. That they can function better. That they can, you know, enjoy their life. And so, yeah. again, it's just a matter of scale. I mm-hmm. think it's
1: um, yeah. I mean, both both commercial versus residential. You're still using the same same skills. You're listening. Your um, your thinking. Your um, those skills are still the same. I think it's a matter of scale. And it's a matter of And so you had asked, could a residential or commercial architecture do residential architecture? I think they could. I think it's they would have to adjust maybe expectations and adjust uh, patience. I don't think I have the patience to listen to somebody try to describe the type of closet that they want in their house. That's that's where I would probably fail as a residential architect because I just. Yeah, I know. We we
0: have conversations about this (laughs) over dinner because yeah, yeah, I could never do what you do because it's just so giant. It is like it blows my mind that the amount of square footage that you deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. I don't think you would last very long in my Mm -hmm. shoes because Mm -hmm. you have to be a therapist (laughs) and you have to be very patient and you have to not mind going back and redoing things because they went and visited their family in Florida on vacation, and they saw something at the hotel that they just have to have now. And now we have to redo the design yeah, to fit yeah. in this, this uh, <laughs> you know, zero-edge no. swimming pool. And <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> so nope. glad to know that we both have job security. Yeah, you are not at any risk of me taking your job.
1: And vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> yep.
0: Well, so I think that's a really good description of um, hopefully what people might come to know now, how very, very different it is what we do, but that we still bring the same skill sets and the same the same services to our clients, but just in very different ways. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, to, to the students out there, um, wherever you go and wherever you end up, uh, just soak in whatever you learn because you, you may work for a small firm and, and you know what, you might hate it, but you're gonna learn things there that you can use. You might not even realize you're learning it or that you're going to, you know, but uh, keep the earbuds out when you're sitting at your desk. Do not, you know, listen oh, listen to everything that's going on around you. Do not be one of these guys that just plugs into your computer and has no idea what's going on because you're listening to Spotify. You know, you've, you've, got, you've got to pay attention, even if you're, you're working on what you think is just the worst assignment you've ever worked on take from it what you can and realize that you won't be working on it forever. Yeah, I mean the the skill it's all, you know, critical thinking, listening, um, all of these things are the same no matter what size firm you're in, no matter what side, what type of client you're working in. These these skill sets are all they're all the same. It's just in how you apply them. So, very good. There, that's my fortune cookie <laughs> for, to, for today.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know we actually um, I bribed him with lunch mm-hmm. and brought him to my office, but now he's actually got to get back to work. and
1: Got to get back to the corporate machine. Yeah, yeah,
0: bring home the bacon, honey. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd be surprised if you don't get to sit down and hear about your spouse's work. Um, you might just forget about what gets them excited about their profession and their career and and, um, and to be honest, I had forgotten that Bob really loved the environmental aspect and the, the critical regionalism that he discussed. Those were things that he was really passionate about in school. And then his career path followed where he gets to work with other architects and explore those ideas. So that was a nice opportunity that I got to explore that with him and that he could share what kind of makes him tick. Feel free to reach out to us on social media. You can find us at Arch Happy Hour and um, we just love to hear from you we always enjoy hearing from our listeners so we are now up to listeners in 112 countries which oh my gosh you guys that just blows my mind that's super exciting I kind of get a charge out of that share it with your friends let people know I know we're back into school now so if you are a student and this was interesting please share it with your friends and let them know that we're here and we love answering your questions so reach out to us We hope you're having a great day and we'll talk with you again next time. And hopefully Holly will be back and healthy again so she can be with us. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.